Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that we've, we've studied about in recent weeks about his work to, to show us this truth. I pray, Father, that as we go back to your word today, that we will be strengthened and we will be grown. And that as we, as we leave out of here, maybe, maybe having been challenged, maybe, maybe having been reaffirmed in some of the things we think and the ways that we look at the world around us, I, I just pray that we would go with this awe, this, this sense of, this sense of um, reverence for you and, and this sense of, of gratitude towards you, thankfulness for who you are and the fact that you <clears throat> have come into our world to save us. I pray, Father, that, that you would just um, help me to bring the word that you have. Uh, use me as a vessel. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, for those of you that have been with us, you know that we're in John, and we're actually changing chapters today. We're, we've made it all the way through, through to John chapter 17. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Can you turn me down just a little bit? I'm, I, I feel like I'm ringing in my ears. And if I get excited and shout, I might be ringing in yours. I don't want to do that. Actually, I'm, I'm going to uh, do the best I can. Today's, today's lesson is <clears throat> going to be kind of a theology lesson of sorts. And, and um, I'm going to try and just be as clear and, and um, as straightforward as I can. But at the end, we'll bring a lot of uh, application, I think. And so... Um, just be prepared for it as we go along. We, we are studying now. We've, we've come to this point in Jesus' ministry where he has, he has done all of the miracles. He's done all of the teaching to the public. He's done, <clears throat> done these works that, that uh, have amazed people. He's taught this truth that, that, that they're just shocked and surprised by. He, 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 um, you, you know, all of, all of the things. He's healed people. He's, he's made the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. He's done all of these things. He's demonstrated to the world around him that he is God. And he pulls back from that public ministry and he begins to talk specifically to his disciples about what is going to be happening in the next few days. And he begins to teach them and, and show them how they are to live after he's gone. And he gives them that teaching and he gives them that instruction and he, he pours over them pastorally as he comforts them as they deal with the truths that he's sharing with them. And then at the end of that, he comes to this place where he just stops teaching and turns his head to the, to the sky and says, hey, the time has come. And he begins to pray. And in that prayer that we're going to study today is the high priestly prayer. It's what it's called. Now, it, it, it's called that because Jesus is our high priest. He is our intermediary between us and God. He is that, that way that we connect to our Creator. There is nothing else, no other person or no other thing that stands between us and Him but Jesus Christ. He is that connection to our, to our Creator. And so uh, as we begin to focus on that, what we begin, can begin to see... Well, just let me just say this as a side note. This isn't necessarily where the sermon is going to go, but I just want to say this. Jesus Christ set an example with his life as one that, that was built on prayer and communication with his Father. And if at the end of all that he had done and at the, at the end of his teaching with his disciples that he stops and prays, I think that is an amazing point that we should pay close attention to. He is always looking and, 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 and calling on God that, that his life would be a fulfillment of the Father's will. 
Jesus is God, and we, know, and we understand that. But over and over and over, we see him calling on the Father and, and just bearing his soul before the Father. Before, I mean, uh, at many points in his, in his ministry, over and over through his life, we see him taking times, and especially in Luke. Luke. Luke really does a good job of illustrating this. He shows that Jesus goes off and, and seeks solitude so that he can pray. We see, him, we see him at times pray. We, we, we saw him pray before he broke the bread and the fishes and thank God for his provision. Before he broke those, those five loaves and two fish and then fed thousands. We saw him pray as, as uh, well, hold on, I'm, I'm already, already off. But we, saw, we see him pray as he chose his apostles. He, he didn't just get up and say, okay, I want you 12. But he prayed all night long before he came to them and, and, and chose them. We see him praying now at this time just before he goes to the cross. And as we continue to read through the gospel, we'll recognize that Jesus, he spent hours in prayer just, just dealing with the, the, the truth that he was going to be, to, to be meeting this, this, this cross and, and dealing with this suffering for our sins. And he was going to be in an intense moment of prayer, calling on the Father, looking that his, his life would, would meet the Father's will. And I think that that is something we need to take careful note of. You know, I think we're seeing these snapshots of, of Jesus' prayer life, but, but it's not that Jesus only prayed in these times. I think Jesus lived a life where he was consistently communicating with God. And what a precious gift that is that I think sometimes we, we take for granted. I, I think sometimes we, we, we forget about it. Yesterday is a perfect example. We were busy. We were getting ready to do our back-to-school bash. And you know, my hope is, is that everybody had been praying towards that day, that everybody had been knowing it was coming. We've been planning for it since really since the spring. And I, my hope is, is that the, everybody in our church had been praying towards that day, that day that we were going to actually do the work. But how easy it would have been, and, and it almost happened, that we went out of here just half charging into what God had for us to do without stopping to even think about Him or call on Him. Partly my fault. I mean, I'm glad we stopped. I'm glad we, I'm glad we prayed. But, but, but I think as we see Jesus, I, I mean, Mark, His life marked by prayer, that we should follow in that example. That it should be first that we go to prayer. And then we get up and move. So as we move into this, I think that's one of the points that we need to understand, that, that even Jesus, who was God in flesh, stopped to call on the Father. Took time to call on His Father. So we're going to be in John chapter 17. We're going to study this. We're actually read the first eight verses today and then talk about what we see in them. <clears throat> When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh <clears throat> to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is the eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, you, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me 
is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Now, by the time we get to this point, as I mentioned, Jesus had done all of his ministry. He'd done all the work that he'd come to do. He, he, had, taught his, he had taught his disciples. He'd, he'd done all of his public ministry. He had pastorally led his disciples. He'd given them the instruction of, of what was going to be happening and, and how they were to, to carry on after his leaving. He told them that, you know, hey, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and, and you may feel confused and, 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 and depressed and sad, but I'm going to send this, this Holy Spirit, and he's going to comfort you, and he's going to lead you into truth, and he's going to help you carry on and, and and fulfill this mission that I've given you to do. And he comes to this point and he says, okay, I'm done teaching. Now, Father, the hour has come. The, the time has come. It's time to happen. And, and in this time, as he begins to share in this first portion of this prayer, we get an eternal glimpse of this work that he was sent to do. You see, there's a lot of people that look at this first passage of Jesus' prayer and they say, well, Jesus is praying for himself. And there are times when he mentions himself, absolutely, he says, well, now glorify me. But he, he quickly follows that and says, so that I can glorify you. And every time that he refers to himself, he, he talks more about what God had given him to do and that the work had been done. And so as I look at this, I, I, I think that Jesus is really saying, hey, Father, all that we had set out to do, all that you had sent me for, all that, all that you gave me to give away, it, it's, it's complete. The time has come for the next step. And so as we look at this, we get to gain a perspective of this mission that Jesus had been sent on that we would not be able to have if he didn't reveal it. Let's think about this. <clears throat> if God had never shown himself to us, how would we ever know about him? I mean, if God hadn't created a world that demanded there be a creator, <clears throat> if God hadn't shown that he's all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, how would we ever know those things? You see, our perspective is such, it's just too small. It's too limited. It's too finite. We, we, can't, we can't understand all of these big, eternal truths without help, without, without revelation, without God looking down on us and saying, this is the truth. I mean, think about it. it. It was in the third century that, that a man named Aristarchus began to, to say, hey, you know what? The earth is not the center of the universe. The sun is. But it wasn't until the 16th century, and I'm sorry, Aristarchus was third century B.C. It wasn't until the 16th century, thousands and thousands of years, or, or I'm sorry, hundreds and hundreds of years later, that a man had, had, had come to this place where he could see enough that he could understand and, and, and prove to the world around him that the earth was not the center of the universe, that the sun was. You know what his name was? Galileo. You know the interesting thing about Galileo's presentation, or his, his, his theory? He was wrong. Now he proved to the whole world and actually, actually, we stand on what he taught. You know, we, 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 we built a foundation. He was the foundation of many things that we, that we believe today about the world around us. He taught that the, that the sun was the center of the universe and that the earth revolved around it. And, and, and actually, everything else in the universe revolved around the sun. And you know what? He got kicked out of the Catholic Church for that. 
for being a heretic. Pretty interesting, really, if you think about it. But he was wrong. And then, really, it was about the 19th century, I believe, it was a man named William Herschel began to recognize that the sun wasn't the center of the universe. And his work began to demonstrate that there was other things out there that were not revolving around the sun. And as he looked at it, that, that, that really we were just a, a, a small portion of all that was out there. He was the one that began to say that our Milky Way galaxy was shaped like a disk. But it wasn't until um, Hubble, what was his name, Edwin Hubble? Just in the 1900s, it wasn't until him that it was proven that the earth and the galaxy that we reside in, rotating around the sun or revolving around the sun, was just one of billions of billions of galaxies. You see, our perspective, while we might think we've grown and while we can see more and more about the world around us, there are things we cannot see. Our perspectives are notoriously limited and often wrong. And even the things that we believe in wholeheartedly because of what we can see right now might very well be wrong. It's, it's only a theory, impossible to prove because we can't go there, that, that our galaxy is shaped like a spiral. What if William Herschel was wrong? But all of our science points to it. He's got to be right. But people have been wrong for so long. I've got a picture that will help you understand what I'm trying to get at. And, and if you've been with me very long, you've seen this picture before. I love this picture. Because as you look at this picture, hey, I want that picture up. Thank you. <laughs> as you look at this picture... You're going to look at squares A and B, and everything in you is going to tell you that A and B are different colors. Wouldn't you say that? I'm here to tell you that, that, that they are the same color. The truth is that they are the same color. Impossible, right? Your perspectives are just flawed, and they're broken, and, they're, and they need help. They need revelation. You need to be taught. You need to be shown. Do you believe me? They're the same color. Do you believe me? You see, as Jesus prayed that day to his father, he was praying to someone who had the same God-centered, eternal view that he had. He was not pulling any punches as he prayed about this mission that he'd been sent on. He was not trying to keep any secrets. He was not speaking in metaphor. He was not speaking in parables. He was talking to his father about the work he'd been given to do. It's very difficult sometimes for us to understand. But, but the reason I start this way is because as I challenge you today with the truths that he shared, I want you to understand that your perspectives are limited. And it's quite possible that the things that you've always believed might be skewed. But in these words, we gain his perspective. We see his thoughts on what his work and mission was to do. Was to do. You see, in these words, Jesus gives us a revelation. Much like simply cutting this picture, 
so that we can move these together and you can begin to see that they truly are the same color. You see, I'll pass this around so that you can see it. I would rather do it afterwards so that not everybody's playing with it, but I know that it's going to bug you until you get to see it. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Our minds play this trick on us. And, and the same would be true if we didn't have God's own revelation of us, uh, own revelation of His truth about the work that He'd come to do. And so as we start and dig on this and look at what Jesus said to His Father in this beginning passage, recognize that you are not gaining some perspective from some, from some other person. You are getting His perspective. You are gaining God's eternal view of this mission He was sent on. Over and over He refers to what He'd been sent to do. Over and over He talks about what He was doing. And the very first thing that I think we see is in, is in the beginning of verse 1, actually in the middle of verse 1. He says, Father, the hour has come. You see, what we can understand is that the plan and the mission that God had, it had been decreed from long ago and it had, it had been given and there was a plan set in place and it was in motion and there was going to be nothing that could stop it. The hour had come. This was the time. They had been looking forward to this. They had been moving toward this. Everything that Jesus did on earth and even before the first breath of mankind was taken, everything had been planned out. God knew that this was coming. It was not a surprise. The time had come that He had been looking forward to. The reason that Jesus had come, the culmination of His work was on them. Well, how could that be possible? How, how do we know that, that that's true? Because he tells us, God, it, it's time. You know, in, in the rest of Scripture, 1 Peter 1.20 gives us an understanding that, that all of this had been planned before the foundations of the world. Before, Jesus, or before God ever said, let there be light, Jesus knew he was coming. 1 Peter 1.20 says this. He says, <clears throat> He was foreknown before the foundations of the world. Speaking about Jesus, it was known before there ever was a world that He would be manifest in the last times for your sake. You see, that's the truth. It's hard for us to imagine our limited perspectives. We, we can't see past the time that we've lived. We can hear stories. We can, we can understand history and we can be taught. But oftentimes it's taught by people who are just as fallen with limited perspectives as ours. You see, Jesus is giving this revelation that time has come. And He had done this all the way through His ministry. It's here. The time is here. All that we've been working towards is here. It's an internal perspective. One way too big for us to gain by ourselves. And not does it, he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't say, well, the time has come and, 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 and I hope we got it right. He says, the time has come. Glorify your son that he may glorify you. It's, it's interesting as you think about that passage because it, this is where people begin to say that Jesus prayed for himself. Glorify your son. But the intent of his prayer for himself is nothing other than to bring glory to the Father. Jesus lived a selfless life. He did not live with His own selfish ambitions in mind. He did not live seeking to 
figure out ways that he could, he could undo God's will and live as he pleased. He didn't live in such a way that, that he was at the center of his world, but he always looked to the Father. And as he lived his life, he wanted his life to glorify the Father. His life. He wanted to be, he wanted to bring glory to the Father. And, and, and the reality is Jesus knows the cross is coming. He knows that this path he's going to walk is going to be difficult. He knows that he's about to suffer great anguish. And he sets aside what, what he would have in his, in his flesh for what the Father would have in his glory. He, he sets aside so that so his his own desires, so that the God can be glorified. And you say, well, Seth, how can you say that he, he he desired anything else? We know that he prayed in the garden, Father. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's anything else that we can do, let this cup pass. There's a part of Jesus, and I, I, I don't know how that all works out. I don't know in the economy of God and, and God being in Him. I don't know how that all works and how it fits together. I just know that He's shown us. Whatever it takes, use me for your glory, no matter what the cost. Use me for your will, that people may see me and glorify you. And then we move into verse 2. And he says, since you have given him authority, speaking about his, himself, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him, to all whom have, you have given him. You see, Jesus has the authority. It has been given to him by the Father. There is no questions that we can, that we can raise and say, do you really think? You can tell me what to do. Do you really think that I should be submitting to you? There's, there's no way that we can rise up and tell him what to do and expect him to, to mold himself to our will. He has all authority. You know what that means? He is sovereign. He is the one who rules. This is one of those places I think that we will be challenged the most. You know why? Because in our fallen flesh, in who we are, we want to be our own God. We want to, we, we want to do what we are going to do. We want Him to, to, to fall before us and worship us. We want Him to be that Santa Claus that gives us our greatest desires. We want Him to, 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 to meet our will. And in many cases, our lives demonstrate that. But He has all authority there is nothing that outranks him. There is nothing that tells him what to do. I have a friend who his, his, his whole problem with God, his whole problem with God, and he's not ashamed to tell you this, is that he doesn't act like he wants him to. God doesn't do what I would expect him to do, so I'm not going to worship him. God isn't like I want him to be, so I'm going to ignore him. But Jesus speaking to the Father, where there is no lie being told, there is no punch being pulled, there is no parable or, or way to misinterpret this. You have given me all authority, Jesus says. That means there is no one who can question him or tell him what to do and expect him to submit. He is the one in authority. 
we are the ones called to respond. We are the ones that are called to submit. You see, this is really interesting because this, this is coming to light, and it's not that Jesus hasn't taught this before, but so clearly this is coming to light in the midst of prayer. And, and, and so what we can see is this relationship with God, it's, it's one-sided in the fact that God is in power and he is in authority and he has, um, he, he's, he's the one that, that, that you know, is, is, is uh, basically giving the commands and, 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 and working his will. But it's not one-sided in the fact that he doesn't hear us or doesn't listen to us or couldn't be concerned about what we're dealing with. He's given this avenue of prayer that we can come to him and share our hearts with him and speak to him. You see, he serves us by protecting us and providing for us and empowering us. He, he feeds into us. He builds us and makes us into his likeness. He shapes us and molds us. And he gives us this, this, this avenue of prayer that we might call on him, that we may ask for the things that are burdening us, that we may worship him in our words and our thoughts, that we may come to him and, and, and just share with him how we're hurting and, and share with him how we don't understand. God, I, I don't get it. I feel like I know what I'm doing. But at every turn, it seems like you're fighting against me. What do I need to do? And at every turn, the same, the answer's the same. Submit to me. Follow me. Respond to me. You see, he's giving us this insight and, and, and this understanding right in the midst of a time where we are seeing that we can come before our Father, before our Heavenly Father, our, our Creator, and we can speak to Him and share our hearts with Him, knowing that he's going to answer with his will in mind and our best interest at heart. But he has the authority. And, and ours is only one of petition. And ours is only one of calling on him and submitting before what he answers and how he leads and how he calls. He is sovereign over all things. And specifically in this passage... He says that you have given him all authority over all flesh. There is none in this world that live that do not answer to this authority. They may not recognize it. They may not, they may not submit to it. They may fight against it. But there are none in this world who have ever lived or ever will live that do not answer to this authority. He has given him authority over all flesh. And here's another difficult one. To give life, to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And Jesus is simply saying, I have authority over all flesh to give eternal life to those you've always known, to those that you gave to me. There's a teaching in, in Christian history and it's a difficult one. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I struggle with it every day. And, and that teaching properly would be known as limited atonement. And as I say those words, some of you may have never heard them before. Some of you may not have any idea what I'm talking to you about. But they're part of a teaching that comes from a tradition called Calvinism. 
And Calvinism would teach that, that, there's, that mankind is completely and totally depraved. We are fallen in our flesh. And I think the Bible teaches that clearly. We're broken in need of a Savior and with no hope on our own. And that, that, and that God came along and, and, and He loved a certain people. And He sent His Son for a certain people. And comes to this teaching of, of limited atonement. Which means that when Jesus died, He knew everyone who His life that He was giving would save. And that there would be no more. And that there would be no less. And as we approach salvation from our own perspective, this is difficult. Because we approach salvation from this perspective, from this limited, personal, human perspective that says, I chose God. I learned about God. I decided to believe in God. And I chose Him. And Jesus says that He gave eternal life to all that had been given to Him. You see, from God's perspective, from, from an eternal perspective, He looks on the world and He looks on time and He knows every person that will ever be, that has ever been, that is right now, and that will ever be in the future. And He knows them. And He knows if that person is going to be given eternal life by His Son because He knows them. That is a difficult, hard thing to comprehend. But God knows it. It is His perspective. It's a truth that we cannot get away from. And I think sometimes that we, we hold to these truths without understanding other truths in the Bible. And, and there's, there's, there's a struggle in me. There's constantly a struggle in me over this. But Jesus Christ died and gave His life and, 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 and paid the price and gave eternal life to all those that had been given to Him by God. And He knew them. Had always known them. In fact, Revelation 13 tells us that their names had been written in a book of life. That their names had been known before the foundations of the world. And so if you're sitting here today as a believer, this is a difficult truth for some of us to comprehend and some of us to believe in and some of us to hold to. I'm not asking you to believe me because I said it. But you search the Scriptures and you see what they say. And, and, and you push through and you deal with this truth because it's one you must deal with because Jesus said it. You deal with it and you learn on it and you, and you study it. But you understand that if you are sitting here a believer, a worshiper of God, it is not by any work that you have done, but that you have been given eternal life by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's His work that He did for you. And that should move you to worship Him and thank Him and live a life of gratitude towards Him. You can believe because He made you able to believe. He has authority to give eternal life 
to all that were given to Him. And then He tells us what that eternal life is and what it looks like. You see, in our minds, in, in our perspective, and many times in the way that we teach eternal life, we picture this, this I don't know, goofy thing floating on clouds and playing harps and, and all of this stuff. But we enter into eternal life now. Our spirits are made alive now. And we are made to know the Creator now. And that's what he says. This eternal life is knowing God the Father. And the, the, and the, the one true God, he says, and His Son whom you sent, Jesus Christ. You see, it's eternal life. It's, it's this life. It's, it's, it's this spiritual life and this connection to the Father that we have to, to, to worship on now, to, to, to live in now, and to look forward to in the future. You see, we got this view of heaven and this eternal life that says, oh, it's all just going to be floaty and spiritual and, and all this perfectness. And, and, and I don't want to disagree with that. I don't want to take away from that because it will be those things. But it's, it's more than just what it is for us. It's more about us being connected to the Father and that our life, our life might count for His glory. That our life in connection to the Son might bring Him glory and worship. You see, it's in knowing Him and being connected to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, that our life will count for much more than, than selfish ambition and feeding into what we desire and what we want. You see, it starts in this moment where we know Him and we've been connected to Him. And it finds its culmination in that time when we are dead and gone and when time is at its end and, and God says, or this world is at its end, and God says, you know what? It's over. Everything's done. And He is going to speak out. And everyone is going to be raised. And everyone who is dead and gone, their spirits will be reunited with a body. Everyone will be resurrected. Some to good. Some to life always being in connection with the Father, always being in His presence, always being guided by Him, living in a life of perfection, and others to condemnation. Another hard truth. But only some will have eternal life. If you believe today, you need to thank the Father that you can believe today. He keeps going. And he says, not only am I, am I giving them eternal life, that, that this is what that eternal life looks like, but Father, he says this in verse 5, <clears throat> and now Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Too often, people teach that Jesus is a normal guy who lived a normal life. He has always been and always will be. He is God. And He has always existed. He was with God in the beginning. He was creating with God as they spoke and called for light. As they separated the waters. As they made humans and breathed life into us. Jesus was there. And He was glorious. And His glory was the same as the Father's and, 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 and He shared it with the Father and they were one. He is God 
in his fullness. And when he came to earth, he gave something up. He stepped out of heaven and he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. And now as this mission and this work that he'd been sent to do was coming to an end and the time had come that 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 culmination of that work be done, he says, now restore to me that glory. Now this is a difficult passage because we can't comprehend all that Jesus is referring to here. There are theologians who have argued over this for, for, for some time and, and they want to say that, that this is what Jesus gave up and this is what Jesus kept and this is what Jesus is going to get back. But, but we don't know for sure. But what we can see is that Jesus didn't consider Himself. He didn't consider Himself. And He gave up some of that glory and He stepped into this earth and He put on flesh and He took on a human nature and He lived with us. He suffered for us. And in the end, when it was done, He was going to return to the Father. And that fullness of His glory would be returned. And now as He resides, He is fully man. And He has the fullness of God's glory in Him. And He is our high priest and He is our connection to God the Father. And then he talks about what his mission was about doing. In verses 6 through 8, we see him talking about what he had been sent to do and what he had done and what God had done or t- told him to do. He says, I've manifested your name to the people. I've made you known. I have made you known. You are God, and I talked about you. <clears throat> I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. They belonged to God always. And you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they come to know everything that you have given me. Have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. You see, Jesus came with God's word, with his message of hope, with his message of reconciliation and redemption. And he brought it and he gave it to these men first, to these 12, or to these 11 by this time, I'm sorry. He gives it to them and and others heard it. Others had heard him teach and they believed in it as well. They, they, they knew it to be true as well. And these, these, these people had come to know that Jesus had been sent by God with a message of truth. It's the same message that we hear today and that we believe in today. That God sent His Son into the world. That whoever might believe in Him would be saved and would have eternal life. You see, that's the message that Jesus came to give. And that's the message that he gave to those men. And that's the message that he sent those men with. That you and I might hear that message and believe. Jesus, pulling no punches, revealing eternal truths about this mission that God had come on. A mission that had been planned from before the foundations of the world. A mission that was sent and and was being accomplished for a particular people. A mission that, that had him at the heart of it 
leaving heaven and coming to earth and living among us and teaching us and, and, and doing miracles, re- revealing who He was and, 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 and laying His life down and dying on a cross, a sacrificial death that we might live and raising from the grave that we are not holding on to the hope of some dead man in the ground, but that we are trusting in a risen Lord and Savior. You see, that's the mission He came on. That's the mission He's praying to His Father about as He prays right now at the end of His life. And as we hear it, what does it mean to us? Does it matter that we believe in the words that Jesus says? Does it matter that we trust Him? Does it, does it make a difference if we accept Him to be God or not? Absolutely. Because it's what He said about Himself. And any other Jesus you decide to believe in is a different Jesus. He is God with an eternal perspective, with a knowledge that you and I don't have. And we are called to trust Him in His sovereign authority. So today, that's what I want to call you to. To trust in Jesus. He is your only hope. He is the one who carried the message. He is the one who made this all possible. He is our high priest. How do you respond to some of these truths? We submit. We study His Word and we look to see if it's really what His Word says in fullness. Because if it's true, it's not just going to say it in this one place. But you're going to see the principles all throughout His Word. And we give up our own perspectives that we might gain His. You see, every time we come to the Word of God, every time we come to Scripture, that's really what we're, we're challenged to do. This is His Word. This is His revelation. This is, this is Him telling us who He is how He works, what He's done, what He's going to do. It's not for us to stand over it and pick out the parts we like. But to read it, ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance and truth, and trust in it. So how do you respond? If you're challenged in something I've said today, recognize I've only said it because it's demonstrated here. But don't believe me just to believe me. Go home. And dig on it. And if you don't want to agree, that's okay. I've told you before, I don't, I don't mind if you're wrong. Hey, I love you guys. And I don't want to lead you astray. And I don't want to tell you some lie. But if you don't agree with some of the things that were said today, I, I challenge you, don't be mad at me. Don't, don't get up and leave and forget that you ever talked to me. But read the Word. Read it. And seek the truth. Trusting that the Holy Spirit will do what He says He's going to do. How do you respond? I think we give up living our selfish existences. We give up on our selfish desires. And we follow Jesus Christ in His example. He lived a selfless life. With the glory of the Father in full view. Giving up His own glory. That we might come to know life. Stepping out of heaven that you and I could know the truth. 
And it took him thinking of something other than himself. Think of someone other than yourself. Sometimes, most of the times, all the time, all the time, it's going to require you to sacrifice. It's going to require you to give. It's going to require you to, to spend time. It's going to require you to, to give up things that you want, that you would rather have for yourself. But we follow in His example. I don't know how the Lord would have you respond today. I don't know how He's bringing this message into you and, and how He's dealing with it in your heart. But however that is, I would ask you to respond. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father,